Welcome to our special weekly podcast, SME SOS. Each week I'll be sharing this additional podcast taken from my weekly live interviews on Instagram with industry leaders and founders, all of whom share their insights and advice for businesses navigating this unprecedented time of uncertainty, but also opportunity. My usual podcast, Conversations of Inspiration, is still coming out every Monday where I share soulful founder stories or those who simply inspire me. But thanks to Dell, we are able to continue creating this unique podcast for the small business community at a time where we need all the advice we can get. Bow your head and let your eyelids close on down where we're going. Episode 19. I can hardly believe it. Six months ago, we started these 48 hours after lockdown, knowing that this community needed some tangible advice to help navigate this roller coaster. Being a founder can be lonely, but never more so than in a crisis when often there are some really tough decisions to make. We initially thought that this would be for three months, a podcast for three months, but six months later, and with the new lockdown restrictions, it feels like SME SOS is as relevant as it was ever. This week, we're tackling some huge issues from imposter syndrome and feminism to white privilege and guilt. But we're not just talking about these issues this week. Both my guests break down, I suppose, step by step exactly how we can tackle these things, be it societal inequality or our mindsets. My two guests are sharing the tools for you to use in your everyday life. As you know, I'm all about walking the walk and not just talking the talk. So my two guests this week are women after my own heart and it was a complete privilege to speak to them. I hope you feel as enlightened and armed with new information as I did after these interviews. So my first guest this week is June Sapong. Now, don't panic that you missed this IGTV. Unfortunately, we had some major Instagram connection issues, and so we had to jump onto Zoom and record it privately. It was the most wonderful conversation, though. We talked about everything from a multi-hyphenated career to tackling the isms in society and how white people can be allies and how, if we all make small changes, the world would be a better place. Thank you, June, for doing this. Um, Amongst many other things, you are an author of not one, but two best-selling books. But you've got this third book coming out, The Power Privileged, How Mm. White People Can Challenge Racism and the only one in the room, right? So it's what I love about you. You're so active. Like I was calling you a hurricane before you came on because it's not about talking the talk, is it? You know, you walk the walk. Yeah, at some point we have to start doing, don't we? I think we've done enough talking of where these issues are concerned and the talking hasn't really gotten us anywhere. Um, And sometimes it's better to, to try and get it wrong rather than talk about it, talk about it and not do anything. Um, So, yeah, I think the last few months for sure means that everybody's thinking about this stuff in a completely different way. And and I think what you have really for the first time is um, white people um, asking themselves how they can be effective allies and how they perhaps um, 
uh, inadvertently have been complicit to this unfair system in that they are the beneficiaries of it. And this isn't about apportioning blame. This is about saying that this is the system that we have and how can we create something that's fairer for everybody. And that only happens when those with the most agency in society also uh, get involved in helping to create the change. Some people, you were just saying, it's not about proportioning blame. No. And it's not about doing these things. And I would say that I think, that, you know, you, you, and I'm sure you found, you know, people are ashamed of potentially yes. maybe something yeah. that they've been involved yeah. in with no understanding. No, yeah. you know, yeah. if they had known, they if would they say, had known, And course. do you think that that sometimes causes... Um, Parallelity, you know, you basically what you, you can't move forward because you, yes. start, you have to accept blame or yes, what you think is blame, yes. and then thus nothing gets moving. None. And totally, Holly. And then people are also scared of saying the wrong thing or doing the wrong yes. things. Therefore, then they're caught in this sort of state of paralysis. And actually, what we need to do is move beyond that. That's not getting us anywhere. Yeah. And that's why I always say as well, you know, to particularly to leaders and particularly, you know, I have lots of um, my white friends that are asking, okay, what can I do? What should I be doing? I'm like, move beyond guilt because what guilt does is it makes you focus on you. No, look at what the problem is and what can, what role can you play to be a part of the solution? So it might just be, maybe you own a little bakery and you hire three people. And actually, maybe you're going to make one of those three somebody from a diverse background. Yeah. And actually, you're going to nurture that person's career. Maybe you are somebody that is in a team, in a corporation, and maybe the team is quite homogenous and you would like it to be a bit more diverse. If you are in a position to be able to influence that, you will. Or you will speak to your boss to say, actually, this is something we should yes. be considering with our next yes. hire. So there's lots of things that you can do. And maybe, maybe you are a stay-at-home mom. And actually what you can do is support a local state school, even if your kids don't go to that school. So there's lots of things that you can do to be an agent of change. And I think let's get guilt out of the way and look purely at action that will really deliver us results. You've created, haven't you, a really useful toolkit, which um, yes. recognises that people aren't perfect and yes. that we are all trying to challenge our isms. Yes. I love that. Challenge yes. the isms. Yeah. Um, so can you just explain what your six degrees of integration are? Yes, of course. Um, these are six steps on how you can better connect with the other, whatever the other is for you. And yeah. the thing is to acknowledge that we all have um, hidden biases in the sense that, you know, we've all been conditioned to see society a certain way. We've all been conditioned to see one type of a person as a leader and another as someone that should follow. And, yeah. and, and often we don't challenge these limiting beliefs because... They are so baked into the fabric of society. Um, so the six steps are one is to actually be aware of your ism, so to challenge your ism. And then the second I think is really important, Holly, and what I say is to check your circle. If your social circle is of people who think like you, see the world the way you were, were educated the same way you were, chances are you have a linear outlook, even if you don't want to. Um, and so in checking your circle, if it's not as diverse as it could be, I would hope you would create a new connection. In creating a new connection, hopefully that allows you to change your mind. 
And then the fifth one I think is really important for us in the UK because we're so uncomfortable with acknowledging difference. And often difference is where the magic happens. So it's to celebrate difference, be comfortable with difference. And then the sixth is to champion the cause, tell other people, get them to do it too. Oh, just absolutely fantastic. So I've got a few questions for you. Uh, We've got Brendan Perfumery. What's her secret to happiness? She, she's always so smiley and positive and it's just so wonderful to see June. Oh, bless you. Um, I, do you know what? I am grateful for the little things. There is so much to be thankful for in life. And the thing that I'm most grateful for is a, a non-eventful day, you know? A Monday day, mundane day. I don't think we are grateful enough for Monday because, you know, I, I know you've had ups and downs. I certainly have. And one piece of news can change your life forever in a moment. And I, you know, we, I, there's colleagues I've worked with who've just been given a terrible um, diagnosis in terms of their health. A month ago, they had no idea that this was coming. And so for me, a non-eventful, peaceful day is something I'm so grateful for. And I think the, as many of those as I can have, I am going to be happy. <laughs> so, brilliant, brilliant summary because, it, it, gosh, it really is. And yeah, I, I, I always well, my, your yeah. well, your husband's good. Your, I mean, yeah. hey, I'm, I'm thankful. Yeah. So June, um, The Power of Women um, is a must read for everyone. And because it basically debunks these sort of myths about the ism called feminism. um, And you remind us that feminism... That's a good ism. That's an ism that's a good one. (laughs) That is a great ism. You remind us that feminism isn't just good for women. It is good for everyone. It's about bringing women to the table. Mm. It's good for our personal lives. It's good to our um, business worlds. It's good for our economy. It's good for society. But we all know that getting to that table isn't always easy. Can you just give us some advice for anyone who's feeling this at the moment? I'm wondering what you think are the, you know, when I think of you as a hurricane, what are our quickest ways if you're a small business or a founder out there or you are working in an organization? And I just recently actually was speaking to a friend who told me about a story of um, a number of men all sitting down at the table. They were all quite senior and they were all thanking each other in this organization for voting for them to get the promotion. It's still happening. And she just put her hand up and went, does anyone else think that this is quite odd? They said, listen, you know, the thing is, is that don't worry. We've got a meeting scheduled about this issue. And I, I just literally was just thinking, I can't believe it, it. Like, is this a joke? You know, does that story ring any ring truth to you? Do you still hear these stories? Well, I think even, even if not necessarily that, specific stories like that I think that actually the data is very clear but it's always around the six or seven mark in terms of female CEOs of FTSE 100 companies so you know it's clear we have a big problem when it comes to the progression rates of women in the workplace And also what I do say, though, and this is something we don't talk about enough, and I think we really do need to address, um, 
is how we value men. We still value men based on their achievements. We value men based on success. We mm. don't necessarily value women on that. It's a bonus if a woman is successful. Yes. But, but that is not going to determine her value in society. Sadly, we value women on youth and beauty and stupid things. Yeah. But I do think that we really need to reassess how we value men. So that the man who decides he's going to stay at home with his children is still celebrated as much as the man who is a titan of industry. Do you see what I mean? At the moment, even the way as women, we look at the two types of men is very different. And I think that that is something we need an honest conversation about. And until we do, men are always going to be protective over the the domain at work because that is how they get value. Why would well, you want to share that? Yeah. Yeah. It's that caveman sort yeah. of provider thing. Yeah, would you? You know, and you I, I remember men look up to you, and women look up to you too if you are successful. Yeah. So, so is there's a lot, as you said, it's about also just rewiring for the man as well until he can let go of those reins a bit. Until he's allowed to. And until we all challenge that, we're going to be in this place. Oh, God, nectar, nectar. Yeah. <laughs> that is what you are. Um, you've had such a diverse um, career as well. You're an author, broadcaster, personality. You've been in our, as I said, your ta the tapestry of British Britishness. And, and I've been brought up on, on, on your smile and that laugh and your energy. Tell me, in the future, you know, careers are going to be multi-hyphenated, yes, you know, yes, yes. this is going to be, and actually, um, you know, I even say to businesses that I mentor or f founders out there, you know, again, scared about swapping it up and changing it up, you know, mm. still on the same course, um, might not be working and actually mm. being able to pivot around. And I know we've talked about the pivot word oh, a lot during this, Holly, this you, period of time. You Tell are me about so your life in that sense. You know, changing yes. your confidence to become an author, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Totally, and I think you're so spot on, and that's why you know, if I could just pick up on what you just said there, and then then I'll answer the question: is the work you do in supporting and advising entrepreneurs is so important because I do think that when people start a business and they have an idea, they have this rigid view of what that business should be. And sometimes yeah. a business talks to you to say it's something else. If you look at all of the big successful companies, they all pivoted, didn't they? They all morphed. And it's about being flexible enough yeah. to go with that without all the painful losses. Because we know in COVID, so many companies will not survive. We know that. And the world is changing. But that doesn't mean that your business needs to go under. That means you need to just be flexible enough to adapt to what yeah. the customer is now asking for. Um, in terms of being comfortable pivoting, I think I, and I do think that's in part because I'm a Gemini, so we like change anyway, you know, we're quite flighty. Um, I've always been all right with trying something new. And, and I do think I'm so grateful for that. I'm, I, you know, I'm not one of those people who's like, oh my God, I have to hold on to. And so even in my TV career, you know, I was really lucky. I started on air 
and on screen at a very young age. I started in radio when I was 16 and TV when I was 19. And, and you know, had a good 15, almost 20-year run of unbelievable success. And then my on-screen work started to dry up a bit. You know, there was a time where the phone was always ringing in terms of on-screen work, and then it wasn't ringing as much. And actually, rather than be desperate to hold on to that, I thought, hang on a minute, there's a new generation of TV presenters coming through that are so talented, if I can support and, and, and nurture and champion them in any way, great. What else can I do? And so that is how all of my activism work, that is how the work around gender equality and all the stuff that I'm doing in diversity was born because it was like, I have this skill set, I have this experience, how can I apply it to something else? And I think it's really important to listen to the flow of your life and the flow of your career. And sometimes it is taking you somewhere else and it's taking you somewhere else that's better. Because actually I'm loving this phase of my career even way more than the stuff that I did in the past. Oh God, that's so good to hear. I can hear it in your voice. And before we go, I wanted to ask you, um, tell me um, what you think that you've learned over this period of time that you will be taking with you long term. Oh, definitely. So there's this amazing Indian guru that I'm obsessed with called Satguru. He's amazing. He's so funny. And what he was saying was that this is really a, a, a once in a lifetime opportunity where the whole world is in reset mode. How are you going to use this time to upgrade yourself as a human being? And so what he says is we should all be striving to be 10% better by the end of lockdown. 10% better partner, 10% better mother, 10% better businesswoman, 10% kinder to yourself. All of those things, just say 10% upgrade. Imagine if the whole world just is upgraded by 10%. How much better things will be <laughs> once we come out the other side? I can't adore you more, though. That's the thing. I just, you've got to go, and I don't want to keep you, but I just literally just want to go. Tell me more. Because 10%, I love this idea, because 10% better health, you know, 10%, as you said, yeah. being kinder or learning yeah. more, 10%. Yeah being more educated it's not 25 yeah. percent it's 10 it's it's percent and you know what i'm gonna post the video on instagram now you've got me instagramming yes. <laughs> <laughs> thank yeah. you well done thanks so much thank bye. you bye i just utterly adored this conversation and i'm sure you can tell but june has such energy and passion just beaming out of her and we covered so many topics I could have genuinely spoken to her for hours I loved her description listen to the flow of your life sometimes it's taking you somewhere else and it's so true we can be fixated on a destination we don't consider the journey that we're on whether the destination is actually still the correct location And how about the 10%? I've taken that totally on board and have annoyed Frank immensely by getting involved with what we're eating as a family. And I've created a fun doc, doc meaning a Google doc, and it's all about increasing the fun in my family with my friends by 10% or maybe even 25%. I must admit, slight wedding blues are creeping in.
If you've enjoyed these clips from my interview, do keep an eye out on my Instagram for the full interview. We cover so, so much more. After many years mentoring small businesses and championing women founders, the imposter syndrome is something that just keeps coming up as a consistent reason as to why women are holding back from building their own businesses. Fueling this imposter syndrome is a fear of tech. And so together with Dell Technologies, we want to take the first steps in empowering women in business. So each week I'll be giving away an award-winning Dell XPS laptop and lots of other small business goodies to cheerlead you on your journey. I'm so thrilled to say that this week's winner is Rebecca, founder of Betty Etiquette. She wrote... Betty Etiquette began as a side hustle five years ago, but is now my full-time job. I created designs for logos, stationery, weddings and magazine editorials using hand lettering and teaching calligraphy workshops. Over the years, I have worked to keep business costs low, to be able to keep going, but I have not invested in my tools and myself enough, which I know lots of women in business are prone to doing. Now my laptop needs to be coaxed into action each morning like a true diva, starting up an hour before I need it and encouraging words with a little prayer. And during lockdown, I created a series of free children's calligraphy workshops, which I filmed and edited in our house each week with the support of my husband. It was an amazing experience to be connecting with families across the world, but also took very late nights each week as we tried to edit on old equipment and watch frustratingly with cups of tea at midnight while each change either saved or crashed. I've been designing a new product range and new ways of working after reflecting on my values over the last six months. I want to refresh and restart Betty Etiquette as we come out of this strange period. A new laptop would take weeks off the process and allow me to be more ambitious with my work. I also want to be able to be an example to my daughter and show her how to explore and utilise the best in technology. Not have to yell for your husband's help when your old beast has lost another afternoon's work or demonstrate how best to balance this charge cable on some blue tack so it connects properly as the battery no longer works on its own. Thank you for all the great resources and support you have given small businesses during this tricky last five months. All the best wishes, Rebecca. I'm thrilled to announce, Rebecca, that you are the winner. And to follow Rebecca and her business, you can find her at Betty Etiquette. To be in with a chance like Rebecca... All you have to do is email us in your story of why winning would change your business journey. We want creative and soulful tales of how you want to be empowered to take the next steps. You can email us at techinabox at holly.co or for all the details on how to enter, head over to holly.co. Each week, I'll pick one winner and share their story right here on this very podcast. Wishing you the best of luck. 
I'm spoilt for choice when looking back at the archives and thinking about which podcast to revisit each week. 85 founders in and I too am also learning new lessons and getting a different perspective and insight into running a business. I never fail to be inspired and it is honestly one of the greatest pleasures of my life to interview such incredible people. My next guest is Dr. Emma Hepburn, and in our interview, we discuss how to navigate uncertainty. And as we head into another form of lockdown, and with the future all feeling a little unclear again, I was keen to explore this, because I think unlocking the tools to navigating uncertainty will be the key to not only resilience, but also thriving in this climate. But before we move on to Emma, I wanted to revisit Wilfred. Emmanuel Jones and his insights that he shared with us in the early weeks of lockdown six months ago. His description of the human psyche and our obsession with certainty feels just as apt now as it did all those months ago. The biggest problem that most people have in life is that they're addicted to certainty. Now, if you're addicted to certainty, what's happened in the last 12 weeks has just wiped (laughs) the floor with everything that you may have predicted your future would hold. And what I advocate in a big way, and those for us who run our own businesses, those for us who are freelancers, all know in order to actually get the best out of things is to make a friend of uncertainty. One of the things I can't bear at the moment is people say, oh, we can't wait for things to get back to normal. We can't wait for things to get to more normal. Things will never get back to normal. And the new normal is beyond our wildest imaginings. It's exciting. and I love change. And um, change is where great excitement, great opportunities lay. As I mentioned, my second guest is Dr. Emma Hepburn. Emma is a clinical psychologist, and you might know her as the Psychology Mum on Instagram. Her brilliant illustrations bring to life psychology like never before and her Instagram feed is full of tips and advice. From dealing with the imposter syndrome to navigating guilt, feeling overwhelmed and stressed, all of which we cover in our live interview. She's also just released her book, A Toolkit for Modern Life, 53 Ways to Look After Your Mind. I love speaking to Emma. She provided such a brilliant framework and useful tips for us to use in everyday life. I find the way our brains work completely fascinating at the best of times, but I particularly love speaking to Emma. And I know so many of you, including myself, left feeling armed with this whole host of new tools and skills to disarm the sneaky inner critic. Hello, Harley. How are you? I'm good. So your new book focuses on dealing with your inner critic and the um, the feeling, the emotion of being overwhelmed. And the imposter syndrome, it sort of feeds off these things, doesn't it? That's that that's it's sort of it's it's food, it's energy. But can you just tell us, are there some strategies that can help us sort of overcome these traits? Mm-hmm. Yes, I think that's so common, isn't it? Imposter syndrome. I think we've all experienced it. And I think what's really important to remember is it's not just you. It's not just 
and you're listening. It's also me. It's also you, Holly. I'm sure you've experienced oh, it at some point. Absolutely. Uh, at some point this morning. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I, I experienced it at some point this morning doing my first Instagram live. It's so common. You know, what do I have to speak about? Oh, you know, it's, it, we all have those feelings. So that's the first thing. Just because you feel uncertain doesn't mean you're incompetent. Discomfort and self-doubt is totally normal. And in fact, some ways, discomfort is helpful because it means we, we keep a check on ourselves. But it's keeping that in balance. It's keep, making sure the self-doubt is helpful. And I think when we feel discomfort or emotions we think we shouldn't be feeling, we tend to become a bit ashamed of them and tuck them under. But just like we've spoken about, once, as soon as you start opening up those emotions, it reduces the shame and you start to think, oh, okay, everybody feels this way to some extent. And like you talked about with your inner critic as well, your inner critic feeds on this. It loves when you feel self-doubt. It's a point for it to come in and go, ha-ha, I'm going to come and get you now. I'm going to tell you all the things that are wrong about you. But if we notice that, if we notice our inner critic coming in, and something I quite like to do with people is saying, what would your inner critic look like? And I've got a brilliant um, series of pictures that people, ideas people gave me on my um, Instagram of inner critics. And they range from um, little sly foxes to a little critical louse. They were absolutely brilliant when people told me what they looked like. And you start to externalise it from you. So that's what your inner critic saying to you. And as soon as you've externalised it, you can say, okay, I'm saying that to myself. So what would I say to a friend if they were experiencing this inner critic? How would I deal with it? How can I step back and look at it much more objectively from a kind of wider stance rather than being totally involved and thinking my inner critic is true? And I think you're so right there. But there's a difference, isn't there? Because sometimes when I talk about the imposter syndrome, you know, let's say when I'm, I'm dyslexic. So um, four years ago, when I wrote my first post, you know, and I would send it around to everybody asking for their for the advice. And, you know, that needed that imposter syndrome in a way fueled better behavior from myself. I was checking it. I was nervous. I wasn't too overconfident, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. It's when it tips that balance, doesn't it, where it starts to overwhelm you. Would you say that that is the time where you put your hand up and maybe go and ask for some help? Uh I think that's an excellent point. So it's knowing that network around about you, which kind of shored you up and and helped manage that. And I think that's so important, having mentors, having people you share with. So important to make sure that self-doubt or the imposter syndrome doesn't become crippling. But given what's going on in your life, it can happen to just about anybody. So it's important to know what the signs are for you. And there's a really good section in my book which looks at what the signs that your mental health or your mind is starting to suffer. And it's when that overwhelm or that crippling um, imposter syndrome becomes too much and stops you doing things. And certainly there's lots of help you can get around about that as well. It's recognising what your signs are that you need that additional input. Because we all need help at times. Nobody is an island that stands by themselves. And it's okay to get help. And I really want to normalise that getting input when you're feeling bad is normal. Now, I've got so many comments coming through. I've got to read them out. How fine designs, um, mentors are the best thing. It helps you to realise how much you can do. Love that. And I think mentors are are amazing because their brain is confined to our own skull and our past experience and everything we've done with it. As soon as you have a mentor, you've got somebody else's brain space. Wonderful. I love mentors. 
Yeah. And also, guys, you know, if you can't get a mentor, community, joining, mm. you know, join the Holly & Co. Facebook group, join communities. It's an amazing thing to have lots of, as you said, lots of Brian the Brains. We've got a question from Lillian, Lillian May Studio. I feel like I am somehow scared of success and tend to self-sabotage. Mm. Is there any advice to get through that? I think that's so common. We often predict that things are going to go wrong. So we become scared when things go right because they're then going to go wrong. Yes. So when Lilia was talking about sabotaging, you know, in a way, what we could say is, because I, I do believe that I always say, you know, think about the worst thing that can happen and almost mm-hmm. make friends with it. Because if you deal with that, make friends with it, mm-hmm. understand it. And what you're then saying is put it aside so that you've been there and now focus all your attention on the good stuff. We all have bad things happen in our life. We can't stop them happening. But what people predict is usually people predict it's going to be worse than it actually is. We predict the negative. It's just natural. Our brains respond more to negative things. We also underestimate how much we will be able to deal with them. We think it's going to be terrible because we won't be able to cope with it. But most people actually cope with it really well. And many people come out of adversity saying it was a positive or saying it was a helpful experience for them. Yeah, absolutely. You know, COVID's turned everything, hasn't it, that we know upside down. And uh, Wilfred Emmanuel Jones, someone who I quote quite often, he talked about how society, we crave certainty. And this entire time has been one of the most uncertain times. You know, can you just tell us um, what tools might we put in place to be more comfortable with uncertainty just generally? Yeah, I think that's an excellent question because our brains don't like uncertainty. We like no. humans to predict what's going to happen. And if there is uncertainty, we fill those gaps, usually with incorrect knowledge or fears or worries. So the first thing is keep an eye for what you're filling those gaps with. Are you filling them with catastrophizing, predicting the worst case scenario? Or actually, if these things do happen, will you be able to manage them and find a way around them? Probably the latter. Secondly, yeah. fill those gaps with as much facts as possible. Fill it with the facts, not the fears. That's really important. And the other thing is, what can you control today? There's a really nice exercise in the book, actually, which is balloons floating away, which are things we put out of our control, and ones we're holding on to, which are things in our control that we can deal with right now. Oh, I love that. I love that. I, God, I love that idea. Um, we've got another question. Um, store for the mind. I'd like some tips for building resilience. I think resilience is a really interesting concept because often we use resilience to, to mean we shouldn't be feeling a particular way in response to a particular situation. But that's not what resilience is. Resilience is being able to deal with difficult things. And as soon as we say we shouldn't be feeling a certain way, it becomes unhelpful for us and our brains. Yeah. So resilience is not having to feel good all the time because that's impossible. Part of resilience as well is also recognising it's not coping by yourself because that's not also a bit of a myth. Resilience is coping by myself all the time. Resilience is also recognising when you need help because that's being resilient too. But one way I think about building up resilience is recognising how you're feeling. And I've got, you talked about right at the start, Holly, just as I was about to come in about feeling overwhelmed, is recognising where you are. I've got what I call the capacity cup in the book, which is recognising where your levels of overwhelm or stress are. 
And often we respond reactively to stressors rather than proactively. So, for example, this week, I knew I was going to have a busy week. I knew I was going to be right at the top of that cup. I knew I was at huge risk of overflowing and going cremola foam style over my capacity cup. So I took two weeks off my NHS job because I proactively predicted it was going to be like that. Yes. And I'm so glad I did. Not everything can be planned for, but it's about recognising what can be planned for and also allowing yourself to reduce your capacity by maybe chucking things out of your cup or getting help from people if you can. So I think that model of where is my overwhelm level and what can I do about it can be really, really helpful in building resilience. I just wanted to ask, you know, and again, we've only got these moments here together, but guilt, is it something that we can get rid of or is it going to be with us forever? And if so, how do we tackle those feelings? I think that's an excellent question. I think guilt is almost like you have a baby and guilt comes along with it, doesn't it? Here comes yeah. the baby, it's coming down just as you have a baby. But I think we can tackle those feelings. I don't think we'll necessarily get rid of them altogether. And I think there's a, a few things from it. Is looking at what's triggering that guilt. So it's about making sure that you're living with your values because obviously that can trigger guilt. But sometimes the guilt comes for, you know, no real reason at all. We just feel guilty because we should be doing it all or we should, we're comparing ourselves to other people. So it's also thinking, what is the trigger to that guilt? So that trigger is our inner critic keep reaping in and saying, you should be doing this. Then step back and think, well, actually, should I? Or is my inner critic saying something to me that's making me feel guilty? So, for example, you know, mums who think they should be doing something, watch out for shoes because they're really important. They're actually a really sinister way or a, a insidious way to criticize yourself well, I should be doing this I should be doing that I should be doing it all I should be doing everything so keep an eye out for those shoots they're not necessarily helpful and why should we be doing it all why should we be doing yes. you know why should we be the one who's always picking the kids up from school why shouldn't other people be doing it so keep an eye out for those shoots and look at what else is triggering that guilt often comparison so you know we look online yes. or we see a mother who's looking amazing and we think oh, they're doing everything and I'm not. And social media is so bad for that. We're so bad at looking at a little snapshot of somebody's life and making all these assumptions about it. Yes. So what's triggering that guilt? And think about whether we can disregard that in some way or whether we do actually need to do something which helps us live within our values and what's important to us. Oh, gosh, I'm learning so much. Um, before we finish off, despite basically understanding the brain better than any of us will ever understand the brain. Um, how, what have you learned personally during COVID? Yeah, I think that's an absolutely excellent question. But I think what I've learned is that less choice is probably better for me. I get quite overwhelmed with choice a lot of the time. And actually, it fits with the research on brains and how we work. That actually, having less choice and less things we feel we have to do makes us less stressed. I think we've all learned about the, the need for community and I think that's so important because the, the strongest predictor of nearly everything, of mental well-being and physical well-being, is those social connections we have. Is can, it? Yeah, absolutely. Social connections is absolutely fundamental, the underpinnings of mental well-being. And I think the other thing that, for me, I, I think Scottish people are quite cynical um, that's not necessarily always a bad thing but some of the tips that go out I think oh right not sure about that gratitude I thought mm, gratitude not sure about that but actually being grateful for what we have and what I have during you know I, I was so grateful I have a bit of a garden I'm so so grateful for that that shifted my focus to my garden and mm. um, I was so grateful about so many things during the pandemic yes there was lots of stressors I was very stressed all the time 
But gratitude is an absolutely powerful attention focuser on it shifts your attention from all those things. So I could come home from a difficult day at work. I was so grateful I came home and I could go outside for 10 minutes afterwards. Yeah. So what are we grateful for? What's of value to me here and what's important? I love those. I think that they're really, really powerful. And my goodness, please, can we talk again in the future? Because I would love to talk because there's nothing more than I love than delving into this. So thank you so, so much for your time. I do hope you found that conversation as informative and helpful as I did. If you want to hear her full interview, head over to my IGTV where Emma delves even deeper into that dreaded imposter syndrome and answers so many questions from this community. And make sure you buy her book because it is fantastic. As we head into this next chapter of time, Christmas is at the top of my mind and I'm sure yours too. We are deep into planning, creating plan A, B, some variations depending on the state of play. But regardless, we are determined, and I hope you are too, to end 2020 on a high, to look back and think bloody hell we did an amazing thing in 2020 roll on 2021 it is easy to get bogged down in the latest breaking news but as I have been reminding you for months we as small businesses are agile we're adaptable it is our greatest superpower in times such as these so when you're planning your Christmas this year think big but be flexible. Visualise yourself, champagne in hand on New Year's Eve, toasting in 2021 and looking back and feeling proud of all you have accomplished. Now what do you need to do to ensure that feeling and getting it actioned? hope you've enjoyed this episode we will be back with this special every thursday and don't forget that every monday conversations of inspiration is released and this monday coming it's with tamor founder of the brilliant and innovative brand papier in this interview we really look into how to stay focused and yet keep up with the opportunities and excitements that always come our way as small businesses And so it was funny listening to the edit this week because this week for me has all been about moving things aside that we're already halfway planned because we couldn't do it all. We had to make some tough decisions. We needed to focus in on the focus so that what we delivered was of a high standard. So I really do hope you enjoyed this episode. If you too find it difficult to prioritise what you should focus in on. And finally, before you go, you know what I'm going to ask. Please, please tell everyone about Conversations of Inspiration, as it really does help others by sharing this podcast. But also, it will help keep us ranked in the charts. And that, in turn, will help us keep bringing you these amazing founder stories. I can only do this with you all being the wind beneath this podcast. So I'm thanking you hugely in advance. Have the best week that you can imagine. I'd like to take this opportunity to say thank you, Del, for helping us bring this free podcast to life. And if you want to hear all about the latest experts joining me, follow me on Instagram at Holly Tucker and sign up to my weekly email or head to holly.co to find out more. <laughs>
Bow your head and let your eyelids close on down Where we're going you won't need to bring your frown You will find that all the things that I have said Will come to when you are lying in your bed And if you want your friends to come